And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe. I'm Doug Keck, your host. I'm kind of the gatekeeper here at the intersection of faith and reason. There's no toll. It's totally free. And your questions are always welcome. Email them to us at spitzersuniversityw10.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's myriad websites, magiscenter.com, crediblecatholic.com, purposefuluniverse.com, et al., and be sure to check out EW10's On Demand page. We've got more and more programming on there, including Father Spitzer's Universe, uh, and it's available 24-7, and it's all free, so check that out. Our EW10 On Demand, all new look. Uh, we'll talk about the signs of demonic possession uh, as part of Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, naturally available through the EW10 Religious Catalog, as are many of his other materials. And the book of the month for January, Graceful Living Meditations to help you grow closer to God day by day by our great friend and one and only Jeanette Bankovic-Williams. And it's proudly published by EW10, of course. With that, we turn to Father Spitzer, who's now coming into focus once again. Great to see you, Father. And if you'd like to kick everything off with a prayer, that'd be great. I would. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry, our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray amen. for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. Great to see you. Hope you are doing well out there on doing the West Coast. Doing very well. Good. Yeah. So let's get a couple of articles I thought were interesting. Uh, this was uh, something recently published in Religion News, and it has to do with uh, a new group called ARC. Uh, and it, in, uh, ARC is part of a larger realignment within North American Protestantism. Uh, and it really has to do with Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Lutherans forming their own denominations over issues of sexuality and uh, LGBTQ things going on. Mm -hmm. And so what was interesting in this article is the fact that uh, these people have voted to leave. They're forming this new group. And that one of the concerns that's mentioned in the article is that the people who are leaving uh, are tend to be the more conservative, which you would expect, uh -huh. of course. Yeah. But what I thought was interesting is that, that realistically it's a large group of conservative churches that are providing a lot of the income to the denomination. I really think right. that the mass exodus of all these conservative churches is going to throw the RCA, which is the Reform, Reform Churches of America, into a difficult financial situation goes on to say, I doubt the RCA will be financially sustainable much longer. So here you have, this is about the Reformed Church in America and yeah. people leaving, but mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting. Not only are they leaving, and when you hear about the numbers, they're talking about the numbers basically being about 200,000 members, fewer than well. that in that, and, uh, and a thousand churches. So you can do the math of how many churches allegedly there are people in yeah. churches, but the idea that the conservatives are the ones who are giving the money, what a surprise. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, that's where the conviction is. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, if you want to interpret conservatism uh, in the sense of having a, a real belief in God and making that hope in Christ the center of your life, uh, if, that, if you're doing that, uh, 
uh, probably are going to be closely following uh, the, the moral teaching of Jesus Christ. And if you're doing that, um, you probably will be called a conservative by mm -hmm. most people's standards uh, today. So, um, yeah, I'm afraid that uh, uh, just following traditional moral mm -hmm. prescriptions uh, now gets us the label of being conservative. So. Uh, what's new? <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you, you know, you obviously are, are an educated man, as they say, and obviously an academic yeah. since being the president of Gonzaga College, who uh, mm -hmm. was ranked number one in the country, at least last week. We'll see <laughs> yes, if they, he was. <laughs> we'll see if they still are. Of course, Auburn should have been ranked number one, but that's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll let that pass. But by the time this airs, who knows uh, no where they'll cover. be. So uh, I don't want to say anything. I probably just jinx them uh, post facto anyway. So, uh, but one of the things that's interesting, and I think sometimes makes people uh, lay people, and I'll say even like myself, maybe going back 20 years, et cetera, is you mm -hmm. read about the situation and the, the collapse of the mainline Protestant churches and where even the people who are still trying to hold on to it are the conservatives breaking away. And then you say, but why does it always seem like we're, A, as a Catholic church, so concerned about either what the mainline churches think of us or what their beliefs are in relation to ours when it seems to be, at least from the scientific method, that whatever they're doing isn't working. Yeah, well, um, uh, I, I don't know why we, we would be looking at uh, what they're doing, but I do know that it's not working, mm -hmm. and that's what my new book is about, The Moral mm -hmm. Wisdom of the Catholic Church, because it was an attempt uh, to put together the sociological data that showed, well, what are the effects of living these lifestyles, um, you know, that, uh, let's say, uh, uh, are incongruent with Jesus' moral teaching. And uh, as um, I've said in previous programs, uh, the results are, <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was looking at. These were all secular uh, mm -hmm. surveys that were done by mostly the uh, uh, Archive of General Psychiatry and academic, uh, you know, collegiate uh, uh, university um, surveys like Johns Hopkins or something, or surveys that uh, were done by uh, other um, uh, institutions like the Pew Survey, et cetera. So anyway, the long and short of it was uh, overwhelmingly they showed that people uh, who were not adhering to something akin to Christian moral teaching had incredibly higher rates of depression. We're talking about three four times higher rates depending on the lifestyle mm. whether it was transgender or whether it was um, you know um, a homosexual lifestyle whatever it might be the rates of depression and anxiety were hugely higher uh, the rates of suicide and suicidal contemplation were even higher still uh, again the rates of panic disorders major psychiatric disorders etc all of these things were much, much higher by factors of two, three, four. And in the case of suicides, um, you know, for people who had a sex change, uh, a staggering 19 times higher. Mm -hmm. And in the case of um, uh, homosexual lifestyle, uh, was in the neighborhood of seven times higher. Even, I, I use surveys from the Netherlands uh, in that uh, area where the stigmatization factor was less significant. And so, uh, in all those uh, those surveys, it was pretty clear. Boy, if you if you depart from the moral teaching of Jesus Christ, it's not that you're just going to be spiritually unhealthy. Mm -hmm. You are going to be 
uh, emotionally unhealthy, relationally unhealthy as well. Right. So it's, um, it's, um, it's, I think I can document that uh, very significantly. Right. And, um, you know, I have the surveys all from, as I said, secular institutions that validate it. So um, stick with your Christian moral teaching, your mm -hmm. good conservative, quote unquote, right, since we're being right. called conservatives. Right. Uh, I may as well own up to the fact that if we, um, if that's what we're called, then fine. I proudly wear the badge of I follow the moral teaching of Jesus Christ, right. and I'm better off for it, frankly, right. uh, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, culturally, better off for it. Okay, very good. Here's another story, again, uh, having your connection in the past to uh, uh, the collegiate world. America's largest Catholic college now promoting at least eight different genders. And this is an article actually came off the Daily Wire. Uh, DePaul University, I didn't know that was considered the largest <laughs> Catholic college. I didn't even know it was okay. actually considered Catholic. But apparently <laughs> jumped at the opportunity to provide students with at least eight different genders to choose from on official college documents and other student life forms, despite the fact that it likely goes against official Catholic Church teaching on God's creation of man and woman. This is written by uh, somebody from the uh, Daily Wire. Uh, and the change comes as DePaul's Student Government Association, okay, recently stated that misgendering somebody is an act of violence. Your thoughts? Oh, well, you know, misgendering is uh, a euphemism, uh, or not a euphemism, but a, mm. certainly, um, uh, let's just say, an artful way of talking about something which might not exist. Uh, although people do believe that uh, gender um, is inherited, you know, the, the, the gender classification is inherited, there is no science. This is the, the big Johns Hopkins study, uh, Mayer and McHugh study uh, that was done that indicates that there's no science at all that indicates that this is genetic. Uh, uh, of course, there's no evidence that it, that it um, uh, indicates um, uh, either um, anything biological. Mm -hmm. So um, we don't have a real biological ground or genetic ground uh, for gender mismapping, mistyping, uh, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is it? Well, it's, it is a psychological state which can be a very uh, persuasive, uh, you know, internal. Uh, disposition mm -hmm. and I don't want to be uh, unsympathetic here what I want to say is uh, yes there are le legitimate uh, psychological reasons why a person may feel that they're a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body I mean we there, there are high correlations uh, with those feelings remember these are feelings these are um, uh, uh, states of mind mm -hmm. um, that are there, states of the unconscious, uh, uh, you know, as well that are there. Uh, but uh, we know that there's a high correlation between that and past physical abuse. Mm -hmm. So physical sexual abuse correlates, I believe, in about 50% of the cases. Some studies say 60% of the cases of those who have these uh, transgender or cross-gender uh, confusions uh, when they differ from their biological uh, sex. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Another correlation that's very high um, is anxiety on the part of uh, 
uh, the uh, opposite uh, gendered parent. So uh, the uh, boy, the little boy may think that his mother's anxiety is a result of something that he has done or the little girl may think uh, that her father's anxiety uh, is something that she has done and that the, what she has done is she came out the wrong gender. Mm -hmm. And so the anxiety level is there uh, because uh, she believes if I could just be a boy, mm -hmm. or in the case of the boy, if I could just be a girl, then everything would be, mom would be happy. Or in the other case, dad would be happy. Now the problem there, of course, uh, is that these things can be therapeutically resolved. You don't need mm -hmm. to change the person's biological sex in order to resolve this problem. But it is a high correlation uh, area that, that is there too. There are other big areas, uh, some latent uh, homosexual, um, uh, you know, uh, um, dispositions. That is also a high correlation uh, there. So there are a variety of reasons why a person might have those preferences, mm -hmm. but those things can be therapeutically resolved if the therapy begins before adolescence. And this is where the permissive society once again perpetrates the harm. Mm -hmm. Because what happens in the permissive society when the child begins having these feelings when they're younger, instead of you know insisting that the child you know and of course the parents should attend some of these mm -hmm. sessions it may be that there is a lot of anxiety in the family etc that if this if they do this mm -hmm. you know the, the sex change will not um, uh, be um, required and further well it's never required will not uh, it will not um, be uh, desirable or preferable mm -hmm. in the eyes of the child mm -hmm. so the the main thing though is if you get the therapy then you resolve the anxiety issues. You resolve the abuse issue, which again, these things can be resolved therapeutically if the person has been physically, sexually abused. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot can be done. Now here is the problem though. Let's suppose the parent, instead of saying, let's get some therapy, dear, the parent says, no, let's go ahead and get a sex change. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm going to support you in this. I, I think you want to be a girl, and I think you're a, uh, you're a girl trapped in a boy's body. Okay, when you are of age, that generally means when you hit adolescence, we'll go ahead and support you in getting hormone treatments uh, to start with, and then we'll go ahead and support you uh, to eventually have a sex change. What they don't realize is, first of all, the three things are going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen, uh, even though they intend this kindly, the first thing that will happen is that the boy will say, then I don't want any therapy. I don't want to hear about therapy because now the solution to my problems, which is a sex change, will happen when I'm an adolescent. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do any more therapy. Don't like it. Okay, so once that happens, the underlying anxieties never get solved. Mm -hmm. So now the boy gets into adolescence, gets his sex change, turns into a girl. It's permanent. You're not going to go back. You've done the harm. It's a permanent thing. Now, uh, of course, uh, at first he's going to tell you, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm free from all my anxieties. My wishes are now fulfilled. Mm -hmm. About three to four years later, uh-uh, 
all those untreated anxieties, now post-adolescence, are there with a fury that they were not there in, ch uh, in childhood. Mm -hmm. Now they're much harder to deal with. But the, the person says, I don't want the, the therapy. I don't want the anxiety. Mm -hmm. But why am I feeling this anxiety at, you know, um, uh, at, at the time? I, I, I just don't understand it. Mm -hmm. A couple, about one or two years later, then they realize, man, my anxieties are back you know, in, in full force, I can't change my mind. I have permanently damaged myself. Mm -hmm. There's no option for me. And bingo, the suicide rate goes up a staggering 19 times. Mm -hmm. So in other words, what's happening in the permissive society is that you are giving this idea um, to the, the little child who has the cross-gender confusion, you're giving that child the idea that they're going to be cured with the sex change. You're reinforcing it. Right. Then, of course, that child says, I don't want the therapy. I'm going to get what I need, and then I'll be who I really am. But it's not who they really are. That, that, that identity is not coming from biology. It's not coming from genetics. It is coming from the anxiety in the household, the physical abuse, and all of the other things uh, which are, you know, they're, they're kind of messing up, you know, the, the patterns of thought, the, the, the normal patterns of thought in the person's mind, mm. uh, you know, about themselves and the worth of their own gender, which, as I said, can be therapeutically resolved. But by the time you do damage to yourself and the anxieties are worse than ever, then you are at a point where you have supported a terrible thing that, uh, you, you know, your child is likely to have a 19 times increase right. uh, in suicides. So uh, this is... Uh, this is a problem. I mean, uh, I would say uh, stick with Jesus Christ. Right. Whatever you do, do not uh, support this on the part of your child. Mm -hmm. Get therapy and attend the therapy sessions yourself. If, if the, as a parent you're experiencing this, I'll tell you it will pay off in the long run. Your child will be a thousand times more happy, and certainly the risk of suicide, etc., will be off the uh, um, the, the radar screen. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, I just leave it at that. Okay, very good. Here's, an, here's another article that uh, we've kind of talked a little bit about. This is from Crisis Magazine, Reaching the Post-Christian Generation, which is clearly a, a, a great effort of the, the Magis Center. And, and yeah. it talks about the, uh, the dramatic increases in the rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide, and overall faith. Mm -hmm. And it's based on the uh, uh, Pew Research and the Barner study. And millennials yeah. are young people born between 81 and 96. 35% mm -hmm. of them have no religion at all. Gen Z mm -hmm. is between 97 and 2015. They have the least religious generation ever. Yep. Roughly one-third of yep. Gen Zs are claimed they have no religion whatsoever. But Gen Z's mm -hmm. percentage of atheism is 21% versus the millennials, 15%. So you not only have yeah. laws of faith, but you actually yeah. have atheism. Uh, in fact, he says here, mm -hmm. the percentage of Gen Z that identifies as atheist is double that of the U.S. adult population. So he goes on to talk about people, lack of affiliation and all of these things like this. And he's talking mm -hmm. about the idea that we need to uh, deal with this by defining who God is, why we need God, and the fact that there is truth. Why do you think there's so much of this going on now? 
Well, I think it's three causes, and I you know, don't want to bore you with all of this, but the first cause for sure is that there is a confusion uh, in the mind of the Gen Zs, particularly a confusion about um, science being in opposition to faith or to mm -hmm. God. You know, precisely at the time when young scientists are now 66% theists, whereas the overall population of scientists is 51% theists, theists, you know, meaning believers in God, right? You've got young scientists who are increasing in faith. At that very moment, you have these uh, Gen Zers who are moving toward atheism uh, mm -hmm. with almost reckless abandon. Mm -hmm. So we've got an inversion there produced seemingly by their belief that science and faith are opposed, but science and faith couldn't be opposed mm -hmm. if young scientists are believing in God more than ever. So something is, is right away, the incongruency there uh, is, has got to give you pause. So what's the, what's the reason for that? They're hearing a lot of junk. On uh, on internet, I have to tell you, they you know they they go to Dawkins God delusion side, or they go to uh, you know another atheist side, or they're going to um, you know some uh, you know well uh, I don't I don't have to tell you mm -hmm. um, uh, various other sites that uh, uh, let's say are morally permissive. Well, let's put it this and, way. And those, that would probably be uh, the vast majority of sites. You'd probably be better yeah. off trying to manage the variance yeah. on which sites aren't doing that. That's right. And so the, so the first thing is they're getting the myth full blast. Even when the scientists are becoming more theistic, mm -hmm. they're getting the impression that science is atheistic, which it isn't. Mm -hmm. It's precisely the opposite. There's more scientific evidence for God today than there has ever been. Please, I'm, I'm, I've got a brand new book that's going to be coming out soon called Science at the Doorstep to God. Mm -hmm. If you're a science type, you got to read this book. It's very good science. It's mm -hmm. very well documented. It, you know, I, I, I put it out there because I want these young kids who value science to really see it for what it is. Also, please go to CredibleCatholic.com. Please click on our modules. It, it just says the seven essential modules. Please watch this with your kids, especially if you have a science-oriented kid. Just look at the evidence for God from science, even the evidence for Jesus from science, even the evidence for miracles, uh, you know, concerned with Mary or the Eucharist, mm -hmm. etc. I mean, these are the kinds of things that will at least get them hearing another opinion. Remember, there are far more errors of omission than commission. Mm -hmm. It's what your kids are hearing. It's not that, you know, the, the, the evidence is not there. They're not getting it. And so they're forming an opinion way too early. So that's the, the first reason I think this is happening. I think the science uh, against God myth has to be busted. And I've really, that's what Modus Center uh, is for. That's what our other uh, you know, website, PurposefulUniverse.com, that's what it's for. Mm -hmm. And of course, CredibleCatholic.com, uh, all the, the modules there. We're also, in conjunction with Sophia Institute, we're forming a... Um, um, a uh, curriculum mm -hmm. for uh, senior year, uh, the first semester of senior year. If you know, it's going to come out uh, about August of this year. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned uh, for when that comes out. Because just beg 
every Catholic school, high school mm -hmm. you're associated with. Beg them to bring that curriculum. It's first semester, senior year elective, right? Remember the, the senior year religion courses are elective courses. This is a full-on uh, apologetics course with contemporary wow. apologetics that doesn't shy away from science. We're training people right now with our master teacher program to teach this course. I'm telling you, just beg for it uh, in the high schools you're associated with. But right. that's the first uh, reason. There's a second reason. And the second reason is the church's moral teaching is getting a bad rap. That's why I wrote that book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. which shouldn't come out any any time now uh, from Ignatius Press, I think it should be out. Uh, so it, um, in any case, that book really does set the record straight about mm -hmm. the moral teaching of the Catholic Church. There's, you know, people think, you know, okay, if you are not pro-homosexual um, uh, lifestyle, if you're not pro-sex uh, change, then you are being, you know, non-accommodating, you're being prejudicial, you're being biased, you're marginalizing people. Mm -hmm. That's not the purpose of, of any of Christ's teaching. Mm -hmm. What he's trying to say is if you go down that road, there's not only going to be spiritual problems, though certainly that, right? The Pew survey tracked religious life of people who get into homosexual lifestyle, right? And they track that, uh, and it's like half the rate of participation. Once you're in the lifestyle, and pornography, you know, the longer you are watching this, the, your rate of participation in church, your rate of reading uh, the Bible, your rate of individual prayer, all of those things are plummeting. These things have been documented. Now, all I'm saying is it's not just spiritual problems uh, that, that you're having, though that's certainly the case. So you start getting into a lifestyle, that's, but you don't want to encourage your friends to do this. Mm -hmm. And we have to you know, start getting back to our old line, hey, being nice is not necessarily being good. Right. Doing the nice thing is not necessarily doing the good thing. Right. And we have to tell people, you know, sometimes you just got to tell the truth. You got to tell them what's likely to face them. Now, is that, you can say, well, that's not nice. It isn't nice. But you're at least giving your child or you're giving your friend some kind of an objective, secular, psychiatric survey mm -hmm. that's going to tell them what's likely to happen to them. And, and, and what's wrong with saying the truth? You know, at some point, we have to stop this idea of hiding the truth from people in order to be nice. Mm -hmm. We should tell them the truth in order to be good and to do the good for them and to do the good for them in the long run. But here's the problem uh, with respect to religion. Aha, see, you look at those Christians and those traditional Christians, you can see that they marginalize all of these groups. They're not marginalizing the groups. They're telling the truth about the lifestyle, mm -hmm. and they want that truth about the lifestyle to be given to individuals. No one wants to marginalize anybody. 
I mean, I really, you know, I mean, being a blind person myself, mm -hmm. I can tell you, I don't like it when people sort of shy away from me or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, they get irritated with me because I, you know, at an airport or something, I ask a question, you know, and, and they get irritated. I don't like it, you mm -hmm. know, but, you know, I, I experience it myself. And, you know, but the, the problem is, is I, I understand that, that that's not good, but on the other hand, I want to know something about a lifestyle that could really harm me, harm my relationships, harm my emotional health, and harm my spiritual life. I want to know as, as just a, an educated person. I think we can sit down and reason with people still. And I think kids will still listen to that reason. And I think kids will still have compassion for those who they see, okay, they do have a particular, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, tendency to move in a particular direction. But it, it's okay as a mm -hmm. friend to say, are, are you familiar with some of these studies that have been done? Here, just look at these studies from the archives of general psychiatry mm -hmm. and just, uh, you know, just look at these before you get into the lifestyle. Just look at it. And, and maybe we can do, uh, you know, some method along those lines. But I think a lot of kids think, you know, um, that uh, Christians, especially traditional mm -hmm. Christians who follow moral teaching of Jesus, they think that we are real um, bums, to be honest with mm. you, uh, that we're marginalizing people and prejudicial against people when in point of fact, uh, we're trying to say, here's what Jesus said, and it actually turns out to be really good for you emotionally and relationally right. uh, by good, you know, scientific methods. So that's a second thing okay, that's we're out gonna there. we're going to have to wait for the third uh, oh, until we come back okay. from the break. Uh, and I, I was interested in what you did, had to say about this elective course because I think uh, most of us in Catholic school, uh, the elective part mm -hmm. was that we could elect to have religion or not. That seemed to be the problem we're practicing <laughs> oh, going forward, which is why we have so many troubles in our country today. Much more here with Father Spitzer, including number three, when we come back. for staying with us here in the heart of Father Spitzer's universe as we continue on with Father's answer on the question. There he is. Uh, you had number three coming up. Uh, if you wanted to wrap that up, yeah. we'll get to some other questions, Father. Sure. Uh, the third area that's confusing our Gen Zs is the problem of suffering. And that is a, uh, a major problem. And again, I, I, I devoted a book to it um, called uh, God's, I mean, excuse me, The Light Shines On in the Darkness. And this book is really about how to suffer well mm -hmm. using your faith. But for a lot of young people, they have not been instructed on how faith can transform suffering mm -hmm. into sal eternal salvation, the purification of their love. 
into all kinds of real virtues. You know, not, not just courage and, 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 and not just resilience and fortitude, but really uh, humility and the virtue of love, etc. All of which, of course, not only leads to a very good emotionally balanced life, but will also lead to uh, salvation, eternal salvation. But the problem of suffering is really um, tough because these kids look out there, they have no instruction, mm -hmm. and they go, well, you know, poor Harry, uh, he's suffering, but I'm not suffering that much. Or, you know, poor mm -hmm. Mary, you know, she's, she's suffering, but, you know, I'm not suffering that much. You know, God is not just. Right. And, you know, Jesus not only came down to suffer with us, to show us that suffering had a meaning and suffering had a way and that suffering could be offered up for the life of the world. Mm -hmm. But Jesus also, uh, you know, is trying to tell us in various ways, you've got to be very careful about that notion of whether God is just or not. Mm -hmm. he, he comes on, he says, you know, it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than for an a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Now, you look at that and people are shocked, mm -hmm. you know, because they go, well, wait a minute, you know, you telling me that rich people have less of a chance of getting into heaven than poor people? And Jesus is going, exactly. Mm -hmm. And of course, is that because there's something wrong with having money? No, it's because having money distracts you mm -hmm. from thinking about salvation. Having a lot of money and, you know, power goes with money mm -hmm. and talent is generally required to get some money. So if you got the talent and you got the wealth and you've got the power, that's kind of riches in the Semitic sense, right? The broad definition of you got lots of riches. And what does power, wealth, money, what have all the saints said? What has Jesus Christ said about that? It's terribly distracting. Right. It can get in the way, right? It's the, you know, the uh, distractions of the world. It's like the seed uh, that, uh, you know, grows up, uh, uh, you know, and is choked off by uh, the weeds and so right. forth and so on because it gets concerned with the problems of, of the, the world. world. Right. But if you have all those things going on, what Jesus is saying is, oh, you might have a better life now. You might be more esteemed now. You might have less hassles now. You won't have to get somebody to lead you through the airport now. But mm. later on, tougher. Because, of course, as he says, by the time you get to the end of your life, and you've been really living this privileged existence, maybe you start thinking that really it's power that makes life worth living. It's mm -hmm. my wealth that makes life worth living. It's having all these opportunities that makes my life, it's my intelligence that makes mm -hmm. my life worth living. And the minute you start getting these priorities in front of the kingdom of God, in front of Jesus Christ, remember, seek first the kingdom of God and then all else will be given you besides. Well, once you start getting all these priorities ahead of the kingdom, then it gets harder and harder and harder to choose the kingdom when push comes to shove, not only in your moral life, but at the end of your life. Mm -hmm. 
And so, of course, the time to start getting detached from riches, powers, and honors, and glory, etc., is now. Mm -hmm. Now is the time to start getting detached. The time to get detached from your ego, and I'm not saying wealthy people who have lots of talent are more egotistical, but they could be. Mm -hmm. They could be even narcissistic. And that ego egoism and that narcissism, if you're not detaching now, if you're mm -hmm. not trying to do something for the kingdom of God now, if you're not trying to make a difference to the lives of people now, if you're not giving some uh, time to your faith now, and you're giving all your time to power and money, right. and you think, I'm the biggest, hottest guy that ever lived. I am great. Me, I am the Messiah unto myself. Now, right. of course, you're never going to say it that way, right. but boy, you could think the, it implicitly. The Gordon Gecko of Catholicism, right? Exactly. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, sport. <laughs> He's got What's all the disdain too, in the world for his what inferiors. You, right. What you're saying there, too, is the idea of it would have run so opposite of what the people at the time would have seen. They would have seen people who are rich or successful or have a lot are being blessed by God because... That's right. Right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That was the common perception in first century Judaism. Mm -hmm. If you're wealthy, God's blessed you, that you're favored. If you're poor, aha, there's sin somewhere. Maybe your sin, maybe your father's sin, mm -hmm. your grandfather's sin, something went awry somewhere, and you are now at the end of the chain. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> now Jesus is going to switch it up and go, no, it's really... Uh, having wealth, talent, power, honor, these are not the things you want because these are the ways to narcissism mm -hmm. and attachment to ego. These are the ways to attach yourself to sensuality and power and dominion. And all of those things will get in the way of love. They'll get in the way of virtue. They'll get in the way of goodness. They'll get in the way of getting to the kingdom of God because you're going to keep prioritizing them until the, when push comes to shove, you'll choose them even above God, even above Jesus, even above the kingdom. They're so powerfully right. manifest. And people go, I would never do that. Right. You know, uh, uh, sex and power like and Peter, uh, right? all the... And I ego. would never yeah, deny exactly. you, Lord, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So all these, but they are very right. powerful uh, addictions and they right. can become almost addictive. Well, and so what you, we have to do to catechize our young people is to say, hey, wait a minute. Suffering may not be so bad. Mm. You know, having some deprivation and challenge may not be so bad. Maybe it's, you know, I mean, in my life, as I've said a million mm. times over, blindness has been a real blessing, a very good spiritual blessing, mm. best blessing in the world for ego detachment. Mm. And, oh, I have an ego. I have a big ego. So, I mean, that uh, all of that, you right. know, you look at that and yeah. you go, hey, if I can just subordinate that to my love for Christ and my love for the people that Christ loves, hey, and, and he loves everybody, uh, then uh, you know what? Right. That's not a bad deal. Um, I'll take, uh, as Paul said, remember right. 2 Corinthians 12, you know, I've been given a thorn in the flesh. That means physical suffering. Mm -hmm. An angel of Satan to beat me, to keep me from getting proud, right. egotistical, elated, etc. right? Well, yeah. The idea there and so he says at the end he says I consider this to be good 
because in my weakness is my strength. For as I grow weaker, Christ grows stronger in me. Well, I so have to that's tell you, the, the, this morning when yeah. I got up and I looked in the mirror, my reflection told me, you'll never have to worry about being narcissistic. So it was just something <laughs> that I, that, you know. No, uh, <laughs> it can happen to anybody, let me tell you. And you've got talents galore. And you, you could, you know, I mean, I'm not saying you do, but I mean, anybody who's got your obvious intelligence and obvious wit and obvious, you know, memory for everything of significance and history, you know, if you got all that going, what's going to wind up happening is you can obviously put that into first place. Uh, I mean, you're working for EWTN, so you don't. But I mean, you could. But you absolutely could. I and think you're so, making uh, it more difficult for me to make it there, Father. I hope our Lord's not listening. <laughs> no, uh, I, well, no. Let's uh, And I want to say, take it. what you talked about, and the next question has to do with suffering a little bit. And yeah. I hate to say it this way, but okay. like you talk about blindness, but in this small way, having a special needs child in your life is yeah. another thing that uh, that I think uh, for yeah. many, many people helps them to have a better appreciation of what life is really all about. Let's yeah. get to a question for somebody yeah. that's kind of related to that and the whole idea sure. of suffering. Dear Father Spitzer, my sister is expecting her second child and received the heartbreaking news that her child has Tay-Sachs disease. The doctor said the child would most likely not live beyond the age of five and would suffer terrible seizures. My sister and her husband are being pressured to abort the child because it's the, quote, moral thing to do. They look at the child as a blessing from God. How do they convince others the moral thing to do is to provide love for that child for as long as God allows them? Diane. Diane, you've got the solution written right there into your question. All the times when he is not experiencing um, you know, or she is not experiencing, um, you know, the, the uh, symptoms of that disease, you know, the, which are the seizures, the, all the times that's going on, uh, basically, you can love that child. And that, you know, it's the old Mother Teresa philosophy, mm -hmm. right? You know, remember when Malcolm Muggeridge, you know, he was doing that mm -hmm. uh, interview when he was still right, a socialist. Right. That's right. And so she, he comes up and he goes, Mother, you know, <laughs> why are you starting these homes for the dead? I mean, these people, they're as good, I mean, homes for the dying, they're mm -hmm. as good as dead, right? You know, just look at them. They're, they're not gonna make it, you know, for very long. And Mother Teresa's answer was, well, don't you think it, it, it's nice for them to be loved and, and to be prayed mm -hmm. over, even if they only live for three weeks? Um, you know, more, th that during their lives, is, wouldn't it be nice for them to have this opportunity? Or do you think they're so worthless that they're not deserving of even that? You know, and of course, Malcolm Muggeridge, gulp, you know, mm -hmm. uh, oh, well, you know, now that you say it that way, mm -hmm. I, I guess my socialist agenda, uh, you know, maybe got superseded by the existential significance and power of outright compassion and love mm -hmm. and the reception of that that utterly transforms our lives right we're around people who consider us uh, beloved and w what a difference that makes in our lives mm -hmm. imagine that little baby gets aborted and you say oh that baby doesn't know anything you know there's not enough alpha waves coming out of that brain to signify anything. I'm not so sure about that. 
I'm absolutely convinced that little babies have souls. And I'm not so convinced that, yeah, maybe the soul is not connecting with a fully developed brain. I'll certainly admit to that. Mm -hmm. But I'm not so sure they don't experience the unlove of a murderer coming after them in the womb. Right. I, I'm not so sure about that at all. And here's my other thought, by the way. Uh, I think that if you do love that child, and you give them, the, you know, in the moments, I mean, they're not having seizures all the time, you know, and, and, you know, as you're giving them that love throughout their life uh, up until five years old, and we have medications that can help control those seizures, uh, those seizures, but the main thing, though, that is if we're doing it, that child is getting a good dose of knowing one important thing. Mm -hmm. They are beloved. And they are not only beloved by the parents, mm -hmm. but by the brothers and sisters. And they are beloved, too, in the eyes of God. You notice that those beloved uh, children who have, you know, some uh, real challenges uh, in their lives, they tend to be very religiously trusting. I, right. I have to tell you, right. I used to go to my, the large houses, uh, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, when, they, uh, when I could uh, get over there when I was at Gonzaga. And I just, it, it, you know, their religious abilities and, and sensibilities and their awareness of God and their trust in God and their belief in their own lovability was, it just floored me. It, it utterly right. floored me. Of course, they're, they're like sanity for the world. Right. I mean, if anybody is really having a depressive period, go to a large house for mm -hmm. dinner. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, there's something about being with those innocents, something about seeing uh, love and, and trust in God writ large mm -hmm. in a heart. Yes, of course, they could be misbehaved. Of course, right. they can do this and that and make life miserable for parents. However, I will tell you one thing. There's something about them that just says, mm -hmm. this is what matters in life. Power, honors, riches, glory, and ego. Forget about it. Mm -hmm. Here's where the rubber hits right. the road. And here is where love is transformative of life's meaning. That, I think, is the reason. You know, I, when I was at, teaching at Georgetown University, we used to hold these retreats called agape retreats, mm -hmm. where the students would actually talk about, you know, the, their faith lives to the mm -hmm. other students that were on the retreats. They'd have these little speeches prepared. Mm -hmm. But the main thing on the Agape retreat was the topic, there was always the topic on suffering. And so frequently there were students that had little brothers and sisters mm -hmm. who um, had, uh, you know, maybe, a, a, you know, a, a psychologically challenged, emotionally challenged, or intellectually challenged. And when um, the, these little brothers and sisters that were there, the, the, normally the kid would say, well, the reason I'm at Georgetown is not because I'm so smart. The reason I'm at Georgetown is because of my little brother or my little sister who has XYZ uh, disease. Mm. It was them. It was seeing the reality of what really made life worth living right. in them that got me to want to use the gifts I have for an ultimately good purpose mm -hmm. to serve others beyond myself. Mm -hmm. it, was it was those kids that really gave me 
a sense of not only what really mattered in life, but what really matters in me and what really matters to God and what really matters to eternity. And that's why I'm not only here at Georgetown, it's why I'm here on the Agape Retreat with my faith intact. Mm -hmm. It was my little brother or little sister who right. didn't have everything I had, but they taught me what really mattered in the eyes of God. So that was, right. those speeches really floored me. I, I have to tell you, I, I just thought they were absolutely terrific. Right. And of course, I do love uh, those who have challenges. I really right. do. And uh, I just love it uh, right. uh, relating to them, um, you know, and, uh, right. and uh, I have uh, the best time seeing them, um, you know, at, uh, at a large right. community or wherever it may be. Right. Well, I always think of the, you know, the, the faith of a child that our Lord talks about, and you see it, this a childlike mm -hmm. faith uh, in so many of these uh, special needs uh, children, and, and even adults, yeah. as you say. Here's another question. Obviously, we're going to uh, finish mm -hmm. off with some questions yeah. here. We had our okay. big pro-life events over the weekend yeah. and last week, and so here's some people had some different questions. Uh, they okay. said, uh, Dear Father Spitzer, what qualifies a fetus as having life? If a fetus has some unfortunate birth defect, such as missing a heart or some other vital organ such that it won't even survive development to birth, wouldn't it still have a human soul, Beth? A absolutely, Beth. You answered the question right there Yeah, which um, uh, yourself. Uh, it does have a soul indeed, and um, uh, I am absolutely convinced of this. I, I think there's a, uh, a lot of uh, precedence uh, for believing this, uh, not only because I know there are some very good um, uh, psychological studies that have been done on near-death experiences of very young children. Uh, some of them are really quite fascinating that are done in very good clinical uh, research uh, uh, journals. But the, the main thing is um, also, uh, of course, anecdotal things mm -hmm. um, where uh, I remember this uh, book called uh, Heaven is for Real mm -hmm. um, where there was this uh, little uh, kid there um, who was about four years old and he basically, um, you know, he had a, a terrible um, uh, problem, um, uh, you know, that almost uh, killed him uh, in the operating room. And uh, just he has a near-death experience. And as he goes there, um, he sees his little sister, who he didn't even know about. Right. She uh, had miscarried, um, you know, uh, a few years before right. uh, he was born. So anyway, he comes back and he's just talking to his mother just incidentally. And uh, he says, you know, Mom, I met my sister. And of course she goes, well, of course you met your sister. She's right over here, you know, she's living at the house. Mm. And he goes, no, 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 not that sister. Uh, I, I met this other sister. And uh, she goes, well, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. And he, I saw her in heaven. And she came out and she ran toward me and hugged me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, uh, the mother says, well, what are, what are you talking about? And she says, well, she said that she died in your tummy mm -hmm. and that, um, you know, uh, uh, she didn't survive to be born into the world. And the mother, of course, the jaw is dropping. Mm -hmm. And then she, he, he goes on to say, she goes on to say, well, um, what was her name? Mm -hmm. And um, he says to her, well, um, she has no name. Uh, because you didn't, and Daddy didn't give her one, 
uh, you didn't give her one because you didn't know what sex she was or what gender she was or you know whether she was mm -hmm. a boy or a girl. That's what right. he said. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and so uh, uh, the mother, of course, it was all true. Mm -hmm. I mean, but this is no way could Robbie have known. Uh, not Robbie, but uh, this little uh, boy have known. Um, you know uh, what. Uh, uh, these circumstances were. He didn't even know what a miscarriage was or anything of, mm -hmm. of that nature. Of course, they didn't tell him anything of the kind, but he knew everything, and he knew it from her. So I'll just say there's a lot of this kind of anecdotal evidence. Can you make a conclusion from anecdotal evidence? No, you can't. But you can at least get a clue from anecdotal evidence, and there's a clue. I'm throwing it out there. But if you want a real technical reason mm -hmm. for it, there's a book called... Um, the Evolution of the Brain and the Creation of the Soul by a um, Nobel Prize winning physiologist by the name of Sir John Eccles. Mm -hmm. And he is trying to determine, uh, you know, he, he thinks that personal identity has to be immaterial. And I believe that um, that is true. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you the argument for it, but not on this show. But in another show, maybe so. But the key thing with the immateriality argument is he claims that in order to have a full integration between the soul and the brain, the soul has to be present uh, as the brain uh, begins, initiates uh, its development, which of course would be at fertilization or conception. You've got cell division that's taking place almost immediately, part of which is going uh, to give rise to the brain. So uh, that's his basic uh, view, and I think it's a very good argument, actually, uh, you know, if you're looking for more of a physiological hyphen philosophical argument. And by the way, Eccles had a PhD and was a Nobel Prize winner in physiology, but also had a PhD in philosophy. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. Yep. Educated people can actually be smart. With that being said, <laughs> we're going to uh, have to end this program and ask for your blessing, Father. Very good. Uh, <clears throat> bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all goodness, the Lord of life, the Lord of consolation, the Lord who is present in all suffering, come into your heart so that you might see his hand in every challenge you experience, crafting it and turning it into an opportunity for purification in love and salvation, for the complete transformation of your life, and that you might lead others into heaven through this knowledge. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Stay well. We shall see you next week in your universe. Don't forget that Father Spitzer's books are available through our EW10 Religious Catalog, a bunch of great videos as well. Next week, we'll pick up Signs of Demonic Possession from Father's book and look for an EW10 bookmark I did with our great Father Joseph Mary Wolf talking about one of Mother's works, in His Sandals, A Journey with Jesus. It's based on one of the talks and shows she did very early on for EW10. Also, Catholic University of America, Patronal Mass, in honor of St. Thomas Aquinas, live from the Basilica National Shrine of Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., coming up on the 27th at 12.10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EW10, where all things are Catholic every day, seven days a week, 24-7, along with Father Spitzer's universe. We'll look for you next time. Thanks. <laughs>